Welcome to Creating a Buzz About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. This episode was sponsored by Unbelievable Health, the producers of these incredible health supplements using the products from the hive, the wonderful health benefits of Propolis. If you want to grab some of your own supplements for immunity, for energy, for anxiety and for sleep, then go along to unbelievablehealth.co.uk and put in the code PaulaBuzz25 for a 25% discount. Isn't that amazing? So that's Paula Buzz, all in capital letters, two Zs, 25. So P-A-U-L-A-B-U-Z-Z, 25 for a 25% discount. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye. Hello. Um, an interesting subject today, and I want to talk about a good death and I can relate it to bees, and maybe that will help you see how I see death from my perspective. Now, it's always very difficult when people are sick, when people around us die, and obviously we grieve, we lose the people. And what I would like to help you think about is about your own mortality, your own death, because perhaps that will help you and help those around you to deal with grief better. Now, I I suppose I, like most people, I always had a fear of dying. And then there'd be situations in my life where you would think, I wish I was dead. And there were even times where I, I contemplated it even further when I was um, depressed after having my children or even after going through a divorce. And then particularly when I was ill, you'd have moments of depression where you would really genuinely feel that everyone's life would be better if you weren't around. You feel a burden, you feel useless. And that is thankfully a passing thought. And it's not a passing thought for all people. Some people are successful with moving through that thought and taking it into action. So I think what I want to talk about is different perspectives of looking at death and also relating it to the bees. Now, something that I found interesting was um, I went to Bhutan in 2018. And just before I went, I was listening to the Tibetan Book of the Dead. And it was very interestingly narrated by several characters, and one of whom was John Cleese. And there was a line that he said, and so, or he read, and if you can remember John Cleese, he was from Forty Towers, and if you can imagine his voice, he says, how does anyone expect to have a peaceful death when they've led an angry life? And this really resonated with me. I just thought, oh my goodness me, we look at death as as something we want to ignore as long, as long as possible. But also we assume that no matter how we live our life, we could have a peaceful or pain-free death. But the Tibetans, their way of thinking and Buddhist way of thinking is let's prepare for a peaceful death. Let's lay the foundation so that we can have a peaceful death. And that means leading a peaceful life because why would your death be any different to your life? And so when I look at bees, I think, yes, they do have mostly quite a peaceful death. The bees, they only live six weeks, the worker bees, and they have three weeks inside the hive, three weeks outside the hive, flying around collecting nectar. 
And as they get old and tired, their wings become more threadbare. And then the bees are either not allowed back into the hive because they look too tatty and tired. And the guard bees just say, no, you've had your lot now. Or they actually die whilst they're still out foraging. And so these bees will just fall asleep, crawl around on the grass. They might just curl up on a flower and they die and they rot down into the, the ground. The other way bees die is through the winter months when you have that winter cluster. You're going to have about, you know, 30,000 bees sort of at the end of the summer and they'll be reducing down even more. So they could be 50 or 60,000 bees in the height of summer. Then they'll go down, reduce down. So you're going to have a cluster of about five or 10,000 bees through the winter months. But you're going to lose thousands of those bees in the first few weeks. And so those bees will literally just drop off and they just fall to the bottom of the hive. And what the other bees do is they let them die there. And then as the body degrades, when it gets lighter. So then when you have a, a next sunny, bright day, the bees, the worker bees in there, they will actually be stretching their wings and they'll carry out the debris. So something that you can know as a beekeeper through the winter months is if you have a sunny day and you see a whole pile of dead bees outside your hive, it's not that the bees are dead. It means they're alive and they're carrying out the dead bees. But obviously, as a beekeeper, you don't really often see the bottom of a hive inside the hive because you can't open your hive in the cold winter months. So they have a very matter of fact way of dealing with death. But when the queen dies, that's a different matter. And you can sort of hear the moaning. You can hear the sigh, the sadness that the bees experience because the queen is their their mother. She's their source of new life, the, the source and the reason of continuation. So you can understand why, you know, the bees will grieve when the queen dies. Now, when I went to Bhutan, having listened to the Tibetan art of dying and so I was or death. And so I was very much more tuned in to how how they live. And it was very interesting talking to one Chuck, my guide and Sonam, who's a former monk who was the driver. And they were talking about their beliefs of um, of death. And they have um, a lot of superstition and um, that goes back where the way you die will have an impact on the family. So the worst thing that could happen is to be attacked by a tiger. That is considered to be extremely bad luck. And unfortunately, if somebody in the family is taken by a tiger or killed by a tiger, that luck transfers to the rest of the family. And I found this really hard to struggle with where I heard the story of a young man who was tending his cattle and he'd got up in the night because he heard a noise. Now, my my Bhutanese friends were saying, well, that was the first thing you don't do. You just don't go out if you hear a noise like that in the night. But the guy went out and a tiger was taking his cattle and then the tiger decided to take the man. So that left a widow and two young children. And unfortunately, because of the, the bad luck that the family was seen to have, nobody would help the woman or her children. So the woman actually took her own life eventually. And then the children were then had to be put into care because none of the family would take on those children because of that carried bad luck. So, but then in contrast, we were driving along um, to the airport on my last morning and we passed a house and there was all this, um, there were sort of, um, not quite kites, but there were sort of canopies and flags and there was all sorts of commotion going on. It looked like, oh, there's a party or there's a wedding, but it was quite early in the morning. So we pulled over because I said, what's going on there? You know, what's happening? 
And they were like, oh, this is so exciting. This is so auspicious. I'm like, what do you mean? And they said, it's a, a death. Somebody has died in the family. Now, that person had had an honourable, non-suspicious, non-bad luck death, and they had just died. And what happens in Bhutan when somebody dies, the first person who is called out is um, the um, the person who reads horoscopes. Um, and I've completely forgotten the name, what you would call somebody who reads horoscope, an astrologer. So the astrologer would come out and they would, um, by judging the dates and the timing of the death, but also the birth of that person, they would then do a reading to find out when the most auspicious time was to move that body and to bury it or to burn it. And so they have this you know, this real respect for the, the dead body. And they don't believe they should move the body for a couple of days or as long as possible because the soul needs to orientate where it is. It needs to know it's it's died. And I find this really interesting because if we look at the soul, we look at the spirit and we look at death, if you have an accident or you have a, a, a death and, you know, whether it's a sudden one, you know, perhaps a heart attack or a road accident, and you're instantly moved, you know, you're moved somewhere. But if you look at it from an astrological point of view or perspective, or even a Tibetan view of, of that transition of your soul from one life to another, then that movement could be quite traumatic. I mean, it's traumatic enough to die for your soul, you know, particularly if it's happened suddenly. So I find this really interesting. And it's sort of helping me put together my, my death plan, just like when you're you're pregnant and you're going to have a baby, you write a birth plan and you say, well, this is what I'd like, ideally. This is what I definitely don't want, um, ideally. And can we aim for that? But I think very few people do this in death. Very few people think, OK, this is how I want to die or even think about how are they going to die? We just ignore it. We completely ignore it. So there's quite a few stories I've got about death and I'm going to just pack them all in here. So when you have faced death or when you embrace the fact that you are going to die and you don't know when, very few of us know when we're actually going to die, that makes you consider what are you here for? What are you going to do while you're alive? And I think it's only when you really embrace death and your own mortality that you can start really living. So many of us are fearful of taking risks in case we die. You know, that's the worst case scenario. And like many many of the risks that we take would not result in death. So yet we're still fearful to take them. So how can we live a life where we are um, embracing life, not risking too much, so we're not really at risk at death, but um, but really enjoying our life so that when we die, we can dry, die peaceful and happy because we've we've led a good life. And we all have so much more peace when somebody dies and we know that they were happy to die, they were ready to go, whether they were young or whether they were old. You know, ideally you have someone who's fit and healthy, who's in their late 90s or in their, you know, even over 100, they were still able to live in their home, they were still enjoying their family and then one night they go to sleep and they don't wake up and you think, yes, that is the way to go. And although you'll miss them, you're not going to grieve the same way as somebody who's really suffered or somebody who was taken very suddenly when you know that there were still things they wanted to do. So it's getting that balance between thinking, well, OK, if I was hit by a bus tomorrow or you know, a bolt of lightning or I had a heart attack, 
what would I regret if I was looking back at my body and my life? What would I regret that I hadn't done? Now, I was very, very lucky recently to spend some time with a friend who was passing and he had led a good life and he was in his 80s and um, he was already a widower. His wife had passed away a few years ago. So he had that to sort of look forward to. He believed he would be reunited with his wife. So that gave him some comfort. But he was suffering towards the end. And yet being given a time, being told, you know, you've got so many weeks or months, he really lived. And he made a decision on how and where he wanted to die. And he wanted to die at home. And so when he was sent home and he was given a hospital bed at home and he had carers coming in and his son and daughter were helping him, it was just, it was such an honour to be invited round. And I didn't know what to expect, but I probably have an unusual um, ability to cope with death and dying and sickness. My mum was a district nurse, although I really struggled with the Nursing Times illustrations as a child. Um, I, you know, I've always pondered death and, and questioned it and, and thought about it. And so I went to visit and he did look poorly, but he was pleased to see me and he was still very um, cognitive, cognitively aware. And so we had a wonderful chat and we talked about how we met and how long we've known each other and all the different things that have happened in our lives. And then he talked, you know, explained to me the whole decline of his health, then all the things that he'd been able to do with his son and his daughter in the last few weeks and what joy he had. And what was so heartwarming was that he was saying, I'm already in heaven. I'm laying here in, here in this bed. I have nurses to help put me to bed. I have my son. I have my daughter. You know, they've got their families. They're all happy. My wife is standing at the end of the bed waiting to welcome me to the other side. I've got my best friends coming to visit me. We're having a laugh. We're having a talk. He had his honey. He was having a, a shot of um, brandy, I think, every night. And he was happy. He said, I am so blessed. I have led such a good life. I've done so many good things. And, you know, one of the days he woke up and he said, I want to go swimming. And there's um, a health pool near here where you can book it for an hour slot and you can go swimming and they've got a hoist and everything like that. So he did that with his kids. And he was like, I never thought I'd do this. And it was amazing. And to be pain free in the water, you know, and to have that special day. And yet the next day he's he's a lot, lot worse. And within a week, he had passed. But it gave me and his family so much comfort to know how happy he was, how ready to go. His affairs were in order. He had discussed the funeral. He discussed what he wanted his kids to do. He discussed everything. There weren't any open questions. And I think this is so, so valuable, so important. And I think from a selfless point of view, it would be a gift to our families if we spent a little bit of time just thinking about our own death, just thinking about what would we like? What songs would you like played if you had a funeral? Would you want to be buried? Would you want to be um, cremated? You know, what is important to you and where? You know, that can be a very personal thing. And if we want our souls to rest in peace, you do not want to find that somebody that you've never got on with, who's never understood you, has made all the decisions for your funeral. I mean, if anything was going to stir me up out of the grave, I think that would be it. So have a think and then write it down, seal it up in an envelope 
to whom it may concern after my passing. And wouldn't that be lovely? And readdress it every now and again. And maybe make it easier and write your biography. You know, actually write about the things that you remember, the things that you've done. Because now my friends passed, our lovely little story of how we met will be lost. He won't be sharing it anymore. And anyone I share it with won't understand it. But I'm going to share it now because it is such a cool story. <laughs> so we met in 1992. No, maybe it was 1993. And 1993 was a really challenging year. It was one of those years where I had a lot of stress. But it was also the year in 12 years that I had a week's holiday. And with my first husband, Simon, we went to Menorca. And we had such an amazing week. We were really on a budget, but we met some lovely people who sort of one of one couple had a hire car. So they took us out places and um and we cooked for them in return. So we had a really lovely holiday and Simon was fishing, you know, in the sea and bringing back fish and we were eating that. So we had a great holiday and we came back and because we were on a budget, we booked a bus ticket to come home. But it would have meant getting from Gatwick to central London and hanging around for like 12 hours before our bus went back, which we really weren't looking forward to. We thought that is just going to bring us down. So what we decided to do quite impulsively was hitch. So we came out of Gatwick Airport and I had, maybe the year before, I had won two Mulberry travel bags. And so I had these beautiful designer luggage, you know, these amazing bags. And so we had these Mulberry bags and I had a lovely raincoat that we would bought from friends who had a gallery up in Yorkshire in Helmsley. And it was by um, a brand called Cocoon. So it was a very smart raincoat, which I still have. So, I mean, it's, you know, you just can't wear them out. So I had this lovely long raincoat and I had my mulberry bags. And we walked out of Gatwick Airport. And instead of going straight across to the car park or the taxis, we turned left and started walking to the roundabout. And luckily, someone picked us up straight away. So we got a lift and we, we were sort of being dropped off at various points on the way home. And when we got near um, Andover, we were dropped off at a, a junction. And so we walked from the exit bit to the, the filtering back in. And this, this guy pulled up, picked us up. And this was my friend. And we didn't know him. He didn't know us, but he picked us up because he thought, what do you do? You look extraordinary. You don't look like normal hitches. You've got these lovely bags and these nice raincoats. And what are you doing? So he picked us up and it turned out he lived near us. He lived in Bruton and we were in North Barrow then near Castle Carey. So he took us to our door. He took us home. And we that was the start of a great friendship. So it was so wonderful to have. So I've known him since 1992. He supported my business as an artist. We've been friends and we've got these little stories of where we, we've interacted. And it's just so special when you meet people and it's even more special to be there when they move on. And for me to know that he left this world happy. He had a little bit of suffering, but his mind and his heart were full. He was full of love. His house was full of love. He was joking and laughing to the end. And that was because he prepared. He was ready to go and he'd lived a good life. He'd been ticking off things on his bucket list and he'd had that special time. So I know not all of us are able or blessed to have all the advantages that my friend had, but let's make the best of what we've got. And 
even if you end up with another 30 or 50 years from where you are today, you can still make a start preparing for that peaceful death. Start preparing for where you want to be when you move over. And then going back to the bees, I often think, you know, people get very upset when their bees die. Um, you know, you look at it like a pet, you know, you've looked after these bees and they don't make it through the winter or they just disappear in the summer or, you know, or they just die out and you feel responsible. But actually look at what is death. If you look at your colony of bees, when they die, they go into the soil and then their nutrients of their body are feeding the plants, which will produce the nectar for the next generation of bees. So they're just a cycle. They're just transforming. And if bees don't die, there would be no nutrition in the soil to feed those next flowers. So think about your purpose and the queen. She's laid all the eggs. The drones have gone off and um, fertilized other queens. So in a way, that colony lives on. It just continues. It's just in that stage. It's gone. So let's think about ourselves. What is it that you're leaving to continue? What is it that... Um, you know, if you've got children, you're passing that on. If you've created something that's inspired people, if you've said something that's made somebody happy, you will be carrying on in somebody's memory. Just how my friend will always be in my memory from that little act of kindness of picking us up when I was coming back from a holiday. So the last thing I wanted to share was there is this amazing um, health and fitness guru, something Goggins can't believe I can't remember his name because he's a bit out of my radar but he does a lot of extreme fitness um I mean crazy crazy stuff so you know he'll do 100 press-ups and and then run 10 miles so he does really extreme things but I listened to a podcast interview with him once and it really made me laugh and someone said you know are you fearful of death or what do you think of, of death and he said well I'll tell you how I see it he said I see that we die and then we're lined up outside the pearly gates and there's a queue and one by one we're ticked off at the gate is it St Peter at the gate and he just says oh yeah okay so you're this is your name yet yeah, go through the gate or you're good or you're bad or whatever and you go one way or the other and he said what he you know he said imagine you've got somebody like Oprah Winfrey who's in front of you and and you know, God welcomes her in and he's got this flip chart and he says, oh, wow, yeah, you lived a great life. You did this. I'm so impressed. You know, well done you. And then you come up to be assessed as the flip chart of your life with all the things you've you've done. And he said his biggest fear would be that that flip chart says, oh, Joe Goggins, you could have done this. We thought you would do that. You thought you would have done this, that and the other. But actually, no, you had a safe life. Yes you know, you were, you were good, but you didn't do all the things we thought you could do, the potential you had to do. And he was thinking that would be his worst fear to live a life that was wasted. The way he wants to go is to get to that big flip chart and God's looking at the chart and God says, well, yep, we thought you'd do this. We thought you'd do that. We thought we'd do the other, but even we had no idea that you do that and that and that as well. And he said, that's how he wants to leave this world. And so that has always sort of resonated with, with me. And I thought, yes, what is the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is like snakes and ladders is 
going through this life, not making the most of it and having to come back and do it all again. That would be a nightmare for me. So I want to live the life that I've got the potential to live in this life and make sure that when I go, everyone who knew me knows that I was ready to go and that I can rest in peace. So I hope this may have triggered you, this may have inspired you, but whatever, it needed to be said. So I hope you've enjoyed it. If you think it would inspire somebody else, then please pass it on and share with them. So thank you very much for listening and keep on. Let's create a buzz about health. I love that you've been listening to my podcast. Thank you so much. I am delighted to have the wonderful Bee Brook helping me with editing and um, producing this podcast. So if you've enjoyed it, do share it around and connect with me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, and my website. So thank you very much and bye for now. You have to become yourself. Join us Open next time on heart. Creating a Buzz Open About Health heart. podcast with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.